Reciprocators. All the way to the left now. <laughs> you are sweet monster when you breathe. Or suffocate. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel, and you've got Living Writers um, on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm so happy to have in the studio today Ann Waldman here. Ann, welcome. Welcome Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. (laughs) I love radio. (laughs) Even with all like the the um, ups and downs and the the struggles of (laughs) broadcast, it should be a struggle. (laughs) It's it's powerful and important. Anything powerful and important, to struggle with. (laughs) Yes, and I love how you said that you're you're also fond of your community radio station. Back in, in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, KGNU is a wonderful community-run station, and we've been involved there over the years with Naropa collaborations and that sort of thing. And I did a little training at one point, so I thought this is my new career. <laughs> I wasn't so good with the dials. I need, you know, I need more assistance. And of course, now you can just push computer buttons and. Okay, we'll have see. to. We'll have to investigate. I don't know if we're that high tech yet with the. Push. Okay. There might be more dials here. It's on here. the way. It's yeah. on the way. <laughs> Although we are streaming, so we're up with all that. Oh, so wonderful! It's, so Terrific. across the, I should say actually, we're taping this on April twelfth, two thousand twelve. Um, so. Uh, so we ain't live today, but we are alive today. <laughs> and, we are alive today. <laughs> and, um, and and you're here in town. You've come to read for the One Pause Poetry. Um, yes. And, and do, you'll be reading and then also a conversation the next morning, which is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I'm excited about that. And also visiting the residential college with Ken Michalowski. And yes, uh, friend also of the, show. the center, the Gallic Rinpoche Buddhist Center in Ypsilanti. Oh, you so did? I'll, I'll do a you little did. workshop, doing a little workshop there. Yeah. And and you will be doing that one hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Is that because you've this you're no stranger to Ann Arbor. You you're right. actually your archives are here at Hatcher. Exactly. Um, I'd there... love to come back and and be uh assured that somebody else is taking care of all this paper and is that what it is ephemera it's paper and a lot of tape and a lot of you know photographs and artworks and correspondence and manuscripts and little art thingies but but is that why you have it here like so someone else is sort of the guardian of it so that you know that it's not going to be lost in a fire well there was no room for it i mean it was probably 90 boxes at this point, 100 boxes. And I, you know, tried to keep things that right. were especially related to uh, activities of the Jack Kerouac School at Naropa, to the various projects I was, I've been involved with over the years. Uh, so many. Like, in New York City, the St. Mark's Poetry Project, the various presses I've been editor of, and all kinds of things, political, ephemera, um, performance stuff, you're you are a busy woman, fast speaking, <laughs> very busy. <laughs> yes, it doesn't seem to have have uh, abated much in recent years, but I'm very grateful that I have these uh, wonderful communities and opportunities, and that there's such a rich, interesting, ongoing culture for poetry all over the world. And and well, I think. 
that's there's part of the reason why there is because of people like you like this like in this outrider manner like making sure that you're taking it away from it just being um, in institutions yeah. right right which is deadening right no the outriders you know riding alongside the the mainstream and also creating the uh, temporary autonomous zones Ooh. for activity that comes from Peter Lamborn Wilson Hawking Bay's idea of you know you don't have to always institutionalize you can actually create these wonderful creative spaces that don't have to last forever on the other hand I really support the um, archive as a as a vision you know these these psychic inscriptions of our creative work of our time of mm. what was on people's minds of the the exchange the discourse the the actual acts of of making the work and and so on yes with the archive um there's nothing even if they scan it which i would understand to protect or to have a wider disbursement mm -hmm. of, right, of materials right. there's nothing like being going into the special collections rooms and and here and seeing have the boxes come out and you're allowed to look at them and there. even hold them and touch them and yes. my friend Thurston Moore talks about the vibration the vibratory you know magic of the artifact and yes. it's like that you know you actually there's something very special about the connection the tactile connection rather than just seeing a, a replication definitely well, I, definitely I, I yes there is and that's um, it's it's hard. It's I I totally know what you're saying, and with this because when I went to the the University of Washington, I saw Theodore Retke's oh wonderful uh, ar archives, and I was able to hold a couple of his notebooks mm. and to see where he literally had like the smear of coffee or exactly such. no these you know, very human markers, and I call them inscriptions. You know, psychic in inscriptions and, and the energy and is there. The energy is there, and I visited the Beinecke. You know, the Yale uh, Library has a terrific collection of a lot of the modernists and you can look at Gertrude Stein's notebooks and actually if you have your white gloves on yes <laughs> and no cutting objects they search you before you go in no kidding you're a allowed to you're allowed to you know touch these things briefly and, and Gertrude Stein was so important to you at Bennington was she or, or early well, I started even. to read her yeah I mean, she wasn't really taught there, but that you know, it was part of the you know work I was in interested in and and uh, investigating definitely. And I love and how other women writers. Yes, because because you, I think you were trying to um, shake things up a little bit there. Well, it was um, you know the wonderful teachers uh, Howard Nemiroff, Bernard Malamud, Stanley Edgar Hyman, but you know primarily a male dominated. Uh, department at that time and yet there were possibilities i was involved with the you know editing publications and working with some of the other faculty such as claude fredericks who was a master printer and based in paulette vermont and i had already ah. started um the angel hair magazine and books with lewis warsh and so we used a printer in in vermont that was you know primarily doing lists of things and men you know menus and and that sort of thing and we had him uh uh printing typesetting poetry so that was exciting was and that a letterpress Anne, or was it well a, it was a small a printer, small but then, small printer yeah i mean letterpress yes but not a not an art printer or a particular you know a, a art printer in the sense of designing and, and familiar with poetry and trying to bring literature forward but we but did, did lovely uh editions with him and we'd Fabriano uh, Italian paper for the covers 
Ooh. Simple covers, large. The Angel Hair magazine itself was quite large. And so these would be in the archives here. Yes. That people oh, could yeah. See. Yeah. Because I, I took a class of mine once there and got to see one of, I believe it was one of your journals. And there was a sketch of Bob Dylan that you had done, which must have been... In 1976, right. Well, now I'm putting it together Uh more. I just remember thinking, "This is." I'm holding Ann Waldman's journal, and now she's got a doodle sketch of. I thought maybe it was the other way around that he had put the he had put the sketch in, but I'll I'll have to go check it out. This is why this is why I'm happy to have this archive that's extant and active, and I can go in and check it out because I, you know, you can't contain it. Your memory cannot hold all these things and remembering dates and when you did such and such and drafts of poems and and exchanges with other writers and editing the editing work I was doing and also what I call the infrastructure work of creating these, um, you know, programs, et cetera. And and you, there's always so many things to ask you right away. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a trail of (laughs) threads here. And but uh, before we came on the air, you had mentioned that you're in the next month. Even you're going. Speaking of going to infrastructure projects, you'll be. Could you tell us about the next two stops on your? I'm working uh, with a small foundation that's based in uh, the states and in Paris, uh, going to North Africa. And I was there about a year ago. Uh, where and we we spent most of our time in Marrakesh, where we worked with Berber schoolchildren, and these are our students who've come from smaller villages outside the the city and are, are in. Are they writing poems? Or? They're doing theater. They're they're making you know visual work. There's a a strong theater group in one of the high schools we worked in doing creating their own theater pieces. Uh, there's you know, language issues. We Some of us can work in French. Um, and uh, we work primarily with students studying English. And that was one situation, the high school. And then we worked with a, a dorm for girls, primarily. We did classes. They, they fan out to other schools, you know, di- different schools. And, and it's a range, age range from about, you know, maybe 11 through... Uh, high school age and and so we would do the classes in the in the dorm so we'll be visiting them again and then going to Tangier for a reading and um, hope to do some you know investigative work around the beats in Tangier and visit it visit um, you know maybe Paul Bowles where Paul Bowles lived and there's something called the legation there that has uh, artifacts and exhibits and information. So do a little research at the same time. So when you're going on these trips, what, where would that, are, is that, would that be going into an, your next book and the it research? Possibly or is it possibly could. For it a, can. And certainly those years when I worked on the Eovis, the huge Eovis project, which we which have here on the table, 25 year <laughs> project. It's now a thousand pages. A lot of those kinds of trips. Yes. I mean, there's uh, accounts of, I think a, a more recent trip to India where I worked in some Muslim schools and there's a little reference to that. There the, there's the trip to Vietnam from 2000 um, and so on. So yes, these, these, all these things find a, another life as well. And I also can, you know, lecture and talk about these experiences and that are very, very strong. And I'm also going back to the Schule für Dichtung in Vienna. It's the 20th uh, anniversary and reunion. Sadly, the director of many years recently passed away, and but it was felt more important in a way to 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 not cancel and to to carry on and this was a program the energy would still be there 
Yes, I'm, really? I'm sure. And, and uh, they have a terrific archive as well. And the people who started this pro- project 20 years ago had come to Naropa University, the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics, and had worked with Allen Ginsberg and myself and others and were very inspired by the program we were doing, uh, specifically in the summers, and uh, started their own project over there, which was unusual because there are, are not creative writing programs as such in, in Europe. Yes, it's almost, um, I feel like even in England, it's just been the last maybe... More recently. That, ...that's come. I mean, there it's more the, um, you know, the situation where you seek out a writer and you, you find them in a cafe and you sit at their feet and you show them their work. You, and, you know, it's outside uh, most academic institutional situations. So that was our model when we started in Europa, you know, to be more like that, a more bo- bohemian apprenticeship kind of model. Because it seems like you went you went there and then one night like they said to you and Allen Ginsberg, make a, dep- a poetics department so that people who are meditating can, inter- you know, learn this, the poetics and vice versa. Is that that was one of the ideas? <laughs> I don't know that it entirely manifested or happened in a neat way, but often it did. Often it did happen. And of course, many, you know, many of the writers who've been involved over the years have had a connection to meditative practices and uh, traveling to Asia and, you know, working in Asia and working with translation. And uh, a lot of the students come, you know, very curious about, you know, the the difficulties with a meditative practice and then this, you know, creative artistic practice, which suggests that you have to have a ambition and ego. And so how do you reconcile these two things? And I have to point out, well, some of the greatest, you know, meditators and um, enlightened beings of, of China and Japan also wrote, you know, beautiful poetry and made wonderful art and maybe not so invested in, you know, a, a career in it. Right, <laughs> right. But yeah, but then there's that aspect of publicity because it, it it doesn't have to be connected to ego, but to be able to get get the the work the work the out, and and you know or, we're working in a particular time and reality and culture and all that's very troubled. I think you know the the what it takes you know to survive and feel support and and you know have your work disseminate, which is why we also encourage the you know, the view that you make your, build your own communities and start your own small presses and, and uh, make the work available that way and start little, you know, club groups. I mean, this is how I certainly began and, um, and it still goes on and there's wonderful, you know, small press activity and wonderful, you know, discourse in people's living rooms. And we need that in addition to, you know, having a terrific publisher who's can get it out further or be ebooks or whatever the new technologies are or you know recording your work and so on but i'm i'm still a champion of that small you know t- taking it into your own hands let's take a short break and we'll come back and we'll okay. pick up with that Anne. um you're listening to living writers today Anne waldman is here um we'll be we'll be coming right back you've got living writers i'm t hetzel be seated please Yeah! Thank you. One cobra foot, feet of 
the cobra, mathematical as in a row of pins, folds, hands. Two, hand. Three, twist. Four, maneuver her nimbus. Five, massacre, swimming for life, scared, mastiff, hear no evil, hear no weevil, scrape of chair, Croatia. No, red, tipped, wing. No, no, the wounded animal. Seven, at telephone, she got up, then got under as object. She was red. Eight, another red. Castanet logic, tease the master to Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Anne Waldman is here. Uh, on the table, we have the Eovis trilogy, Colors in the Mechanism of Concealment. Um, this is the book that was 26 years in the making. And yes. <laughs> and and it's, it's a tome. Like, I, I have to tell you that I just got, like, it, kindly, Kelsey, I give a shout out, kindly, uh, Kelsey uh, Shaughnessy uh, at Coffee House. Uh, which is an incredible press. Yes, uh, it's amazing speaking of that they press, would publish this book. <laughs> well, well, it's amazing because of it's the heft of it, the magnitude of this epic mm-hmm. poem. I took this to school today to show my students because they've been <laughs> like uh, learning about you, reading reading the poems. But I wanted, I said, this is a poem, and I threw the book <laughs> down on the table, and they couldn't believe it. And honestly, I almost couldn't believe it when I got it in the mail. And I'm no, I know. I had to even cut a little. Back. I mean, they just could not have made it you any larger some, than it, it is. What, I, well, yeah. it was worth. It needed to be cut. It was, you know, the book three parts things I was still working on. It wasn't quite, you know, coalescing. So it's just, you know, and and throughout the project, there were things that went by the wayside, of course. But I began it. You know, I really wanted to take on a, a long form that would last. You know. Uh, a big chunk of my life and and I wanted to investigate um you know this end, the endless war and look uh. at my time and have it you know a sort of feminist perspective on calling out Eovis so Eovis is actually the generative form of Jove so Jove the patriarch Zeus of course and using that as a a, a you know, a railing point, something to rail at and calling out the deeds of Jove. And so that that plays in, uh, you know, to the poem throughout, but it's not a, just a mythology uh, text in any way. So No, there's letters, there's journals. There's a lot of uh, documentation. I mean, letters that my grandfather wrote, uh, interview I did with my father shortly before he died. He had spent time in World War II, and there's a frontispiece photograph. It's the first day I'm meeting my father. He had just come back from Germany, and I was already, I think, eight or nine months old. And um, thinking about, you know, the born on the cusp of this war of World War II, and then, you know, the... Korea, of course, was loomed large in the in the the American dream, um, and everything was supposed to change. Of course, after the Great War of, of of defeating the Nazis and then moving into Vietnam, which is of course the war of my generation, and and it was so poignant to go in two thousand, which was the you know this this anniversary of important. Uh, marking and over there and I was mainly in the north but it, to see so few people of my generation 
that who had, you know, many of those people died and had served and so on in in this war and seeing very, very elderly people crippled by the war and then a whole generation of young people so eager to get over it and move beyond it. And that was very generative to see and, you know, some wonderful experiences with the people there. And so that there's an earlier uh, chapter, I call them chapter or canto in the book, which is a nom, a history lesson for my son, where, you know, it was coming up in Ambrose's um, school, I guess. And so I have this version in LBJ, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? And some of the history of the the mythology or cosmology of, of Vietnam itself and so on. And then later to be able to go there and scribe, you know, some of my experiences. So there I kept a, you know, a, a poem journal, which is used in the, in that text. And, um, which is called Dark Arcana. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Dark Arcana section. And Aftermath or Joy, After Image or Joy. And um, to so that became, it was a kind of pilgrimage, but then to see, you know, I, it was a pilgrimage as part my uh, something I had to do as a member of that generation. I felt karmically connected with that history. And it, you know, it was ripping apart the, the culture at the time, of course. And we're still, you know, there's still karma of course from from that and then the more recent wars which have been so horrendous and difficult and and then um and that's what i thought you meant when you said endless war yes well this last the last section is called uh, eternal war and then you know being so involved with anti-war activity and with many many others on and the nuclear, streets of new york and then the rocky flats of course which we were also active within in the 70s which still goes on the rocky flats guardianship project is still actively trying to show that the soil is still polluted even though rocky flats has been you know is gone it you know you look out and it's going to be a you know theme park and oh, uh, oh i didn't know that side. you can walk your dog and your take your <laughs> children there materials. exactly no it's yeah. it's serious and it's 10 miles away from Naropa. From Boulder, Boulder and Naropa and very close to residential areas. And there's a current battle going on about an area that this road needs to, but it, it would be a polluted part of, you know, that would be, people would be driving cars on. and Here you can up. go 120 miles per hour to get through it quickly, right? Know, it would have to I be know, the... I know. It's uh-huh. it's ongoing. So the, the, the guardianship project, we did a lot of events last year and uh, you know there've been readings and artists and scientists and a recent um, fellow coming and actually testing the soil and showing his results and trying to get the we call it the fish and wildlife department fish and wildlife department and some of the people there more um, concerned and that's an ongoing you know just ongoing um, yes and th- in our so- political reality and you'd think after fukushima you know this this would be a you know, greater wake-up call. Yes. But, you know, in the 70s, Allen Ginsberg and Daniel Ellsberg and I were arrested there. and Jailbirds. And stayed, you know, people stayed on the uh, case for a number of years and it actually helped close it down. But you have to take that view, you know, you're dealing with something that's nearly has a half-life of a you know, quarter of a million years, essentially. And so as right. in, in terms of our lifespan, we have to continue the guardianship down the line. And Joanna Macy had you know fantastic vision of that how we need to train people to you know guard these sites and and that it, that it's known what's going on here you can't really hide it um yes. and so on so you know it's interesting that the then the poem 
there's a lot of, of that history in the piece as well. There's an early section where my son Ambrose is talking about ways to cover up plutonium. Let's cover up plutonium with linoleum or congolium or candy wrappers. Let's cover up plutonium with every single penny in the world. It's this, you know, child's sort of playful, um, imaginative take on how to, how to deal with a problem. Anyway, but at least Ambrose at that age was addressing even trying to grapple with it. Exactly. Instead of what la 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 everything. Exactly. So, you know, it's filled with those kinds of documents and moments. And then, you know, also, um, you know, meditative sections and, uh, you know, explorations of Madhyamaka Buddhist philosophy and uh, various other practices, a lot of dreams. And I hope some humor as well. There's some humor in there, I hope. It's not, uh, you know, I think it's optimistic at the end. You know, I have a view that the slime molds are going to inherit the earth. And so we'll have <laughs> slime mold poetics. It'll be very interesting sounds that the, that the slime molds make in their performance poetry. You're, you're right. That is definitely lightening it up a bit. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. That's, oh my goodness. Because that's, what's so interesting is that the, all of these pieces that are connected and that that you're because you're saying this is all a poem that's what what, one of the students Mm -hmm. was just like I I don't see why Ann Waldman says it's a poem well it's in parts you could say it's a serial poem (laughs) it's got chapters it's got whole sections that could be books in and of themselves but it's there's a continuity there's a thread in terms of the themes and i love the hybridity of the you know the the genre shifting and uh prose sections things that burst into song uh storytelling and so on so it it, it's a you know hybrid in that sense it's montage like it's uh moving you know things around it was not it was not exactly it was not you know written in a narrative way exactly although there is a narrative some chronology with the well i what i tried to do is in in each chapter there's a pricey which sort of guides the reader into the travels of this consciousness moving through time and also the consciousness is going through you know literal time 25 years and you know when the poem begins there's no anticipation of 9-11 for example or many of the things that you know we're experiencing now and I think of uh, the mind I was in when I began and where I am now you just don't know so it's very serendipitous and very um, open-ended and improvisatory you know dealing with things as they as they come up and then there's a whole, you know, animal encounters and, you know, magical sort of uh, conjuncts and um, cut up and all kinds of things. This feels like a genuine artifact. Like this is what you had to do. Something like that. It seemed the best form with this vision of, I mean, it, epic traditionally and epicos traditionally has to captures the time you're in tells the story of the deeds of the warriors tells the history of your tribe your aspiration your longings your fears your battles your disappointments your failures the deaths the births etc so it's it's trying to do all of that as from a diff, not from the male perspective as such but from a you know female who's trying to call out these the the deeds of the of the father and and you know specifically the the war mongering and this need to hallucinate war i mean actually create war you know and the me- the the subtitle colors in the mechanism of concealment is looking at the you know the machinations of the of what i call there's this a repeating thing at the end that fixes in the fixes in and looking at how we need to 
we sell our weaponry to our enemy in order to have our wars, etc. So, you know, examining the mechanisms. Bizarre chess game against yourself in some way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And there's a whole Buddhist, um, you know, philosophical uh, cast to the whole thing as well. So, And when you have, but then other things are happening during these 26 years of the creating of this epic. Um, so when with the Manatee Humanity, that didn't feel like it was part of that because the rhythms of that were Are so- very different, yeah. No, I want to say I was also writing other books within, I mean, I had to get away from it occasionally <laughs> and I'm able to- uh, What does that know, mean? Can you say more on that? Well, end? I think just to put it, it was the, the intensity of the, the war uh, can and then the drumbeat to war and the, you know, one it's it's hard enough to follow the, the news and the daily numbers. And, you know, I like to find out what's going on uh, from other perspectives, you know, newspapers abroad and I mean, currently, you know, Al Jazeera, I think, is a, a useful other uh, yeah. point of view and and so on. But um, I think just to get away from that kind of intensity, because it's it was so much in the public discourse, in the public reality, at least in the worlds I'm in. And uh, so to, you know, and then, and then this other calling to the manatee, I, a manatee encounter in a aquarium in Florida where Jeb Bush had just taken the manatee off the endangered list. Uh-oh. And here's this extraordinary female creature scarred by monofilament line and motorboat blades. And I'm staring into her eyes and, you know, I feel that she's having the greater compassion for me. And, you know, I talk about Mm. that, that sense of empathy and then doing, you know, some investigative work on the life form of the manatee, finding out they're 60 million years old, their closest relative is the elephant. They have this phenomenal uh, memory. They have more gray matter in the brain than we do. And so I talk about them, you know, they archivally deeper than we are. And the the whole poem is a meditation on what is our humanity and what is our responsibility and how is the, you know, the manatee, how can the manatee come into our consciousness? And also the view that, you know, there are these non-human elementals that we're in the same, you know, we're on, on, can be on similar wavelengths. Ann Waldman, I love you. Oh, thank That's, you. <laughs> this is, that was non-professional, wasn't it? Or unprofessional. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Today, um, Ann Waldman is here. The Evios, uh, Iovis Trilogy, Colors and the Mechanism of Concealment. We'll be right back. And that girl did it. That's the girl. Smoking gun? You kidding? Saw me? Saw me with Saw me with it? Saw? No. 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 Way. Me? Me? I doubt it. We're touching? We were touching? I doubt it. Give me an hour to prove something. There's a pattern here. Missing fingers? Missing dead ringers? Missing tigers? What? Speak up. Trouble. Inhuman. Interference, molecular probably. The sleepy molecules, right? I'm wired for sleep. Sleep model, sleeper, cell, try me. But kind, just a lame duck, try me. Ha, I doubt it. She could never, nerve gas maybe. She was behind the last attack. PhD sort of, hmm, ditched. You say train's still running? Are you just having me on? No problem in that department. The brain department. Silly. Welcome back. You've got 
Living Writers on WCBN FM, Ann Arbor, today, Ann Waldman. Um, Ann, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's wonderful. I love having this conversation, and thank you for your attention to the work. Ah, well, it's it's just so lovely to to have you here. Um, So um, that was... Tell us a little bit about this piece that we just heard, because all of the tracks are from yes, the CD. Yes, all the tracks are from the CD called The Milk of Universal Kindness, and it's with my son Ambrose Bai, who's a terrific composer and musician, and it's all his production. Uh, there are a couple of other musicians participating. Ambrose's basic instrument is keyboard, but he works electronically. And um, we work in a number of ways, myriad ways. You know, he'll come up with an idea and ask me for some words. I'll listen to some music of his and figure out something for that, or I'll have something that that works. Um, We're working on some new pieces now. There's, you know, a range of um, activity on this current CD. (laughs) And uh, I wanted it to be, um, you know, helpful. (laughs) The milk of universal kindness. This is coming on the heels of of the Eovis project, you know, just something sort of generous and compassionate and maybe um, hopeful. And what about this red noir? The one we (laughs) just, one we just heard that's from a play called red noir that uh, the living theater, Judith Molina director of the wonderful anarchist theater. She's now in her eighties and going strong. She directed it and we worked you know, on developing the the piece, and uh, she designed the theater. There was a sort of walk around, run around platform, and a chorus of about twenty young actors and performers. And we did a lot of vocal work, and then there were principal uh, actors parts in in this uh, noir, which was taking on uh, nuclear stuff, sort of borrowing from, you know, the notion of the the secret nuclear thing in a box that's being, uh, you know, transported around. And there's a little uh, reference to Kiss Me, the movie Kiss Me Deadly. And then there's a, you know, there's a green box with the healthy stuff in it. And then the nuclear box and there's a detective and a a scoundrel and anyway, various characters. This is sort of, there's some science in there as well. Anyway, that's a, that's one of the monologues. Yeah, and it's really like right on for that noir, that the the essence of noir coming through. And you do get that. The, well, maybe the smoking gun leading off mm-hmm. was right, gave right. me the detective image or right. so. But no, the, and then Ambrose the, took that. This yeah. this was not this music was not used in the production. But then I did a version. I mean, I wasn't performing in it myself. But then I did a version that Ambrose created this music for, so that seemed really appropriate. Oh. So no, it's been wonderful working with him. We have a little studio. Uh, at our place on McDougal Street. And, um, and that's where you grew up, too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then he's been working with other poets, the poets Cecilia Vicuña and Kristen Prevole. Um, so it's great to see him, his, his attention to poetry. He grew up, of course, in the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics with, you know, godfathers like Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs. Yes, and Mary Baraka around, and he heard so much poetry. I mean, he heard so many readings, and that he's working musically in response and with poetry is very wonderful and exciting to see. And because also you've always worked with the poetry 
allowed, like out in the world, like how the voice, it, it seems natural, I think, because probably when you were carrying him, even you were, you know, he was involved in the breath of that. <laughs> yes. One of my first readings when I took him out with me was in, Dem- was in, uh, we went from Denver to here to Detroit and it was at the, uh, uh, Chris Tisch and George Tisch series at the Detroit Institute. And Ambrose was being held by Chris in the back row. He was he heard my loud voice and, you know, pontificating. He started crying. <laughs> Where is and I she? thought, oh, the audience thinks I'm so cruel, you know. I'm not uh, rushing off to feed my child. It was funny. But he, he toughed it out. <laughs> it worked out. No, I was very, I, I had to do a lot of penance. <laughs> but that's fun. That, no, that was a big event. That It was my first, you know, sort of big reading uh, with him along. He was very very young, very small. And that was at the DIA. And mm-hmm. well, and and you also, were you here before you came for the John Sinclair? Because we, yes, we were talking about, because yes, that was I was. 72. I came or? in the, Donald Hall was here. Ah, yes. And uh, I was up for the Hopwood at one point and I was oh. in New York City and I think I came in second and Greg Orr got it, which was, you know, a great choice. And then I wasn't really ready to move here or have that kind of relationship. But um, I always admired the politics of this community and part of the country, the the fact that the first teach-ins on Vietnam were done at the University of uh, Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, The genesis of the Peace Corps. Peace Corps was here. Uh, Some kind of sanity, intelligence, the, the level of conversation and discourse was always, you know, some of the best in my many travels. So there's, you know, there's affinity, I think, there. And, you know, visits. Ted Berrigan also was here. Frank O'Hara had gone to school here. And and Ken Ken Michalowski mentioned that um, one third of Allen Ginsberg resides in Ann Arbor. Um, that his ashes were there's brought There's some here. ashes with his teacher, his his later teacher, Gallic Rinpoche. Oh, that yeah, makes exactly. sense. Yeah, exactly. And Alec traveled here with Alan for the John Sinclair event and met John and Yoko and all the excitement around that and knew John Sinclair and the White Panthers, of course, and their activity and his music and poetry. So there's, you know, there's a long connection. And then my archive is at the Hatcher library and so they're taking good care of it. <laughs> So, and is it, well, are you adding to it then, Anne? Yes, is that I am. Something that, yeah. Okay. A, a new shipment just you know recently, and more manuscripts. I I put together a lot of there was tons of stuff around the Eovis project, so there were a lot of drafts and versions, and then source material and so on. So I wanted to make that keep that in one place and keep it together. And this is a book, the Eovis Trilogy, Colors in the Mechanism of Concealment, where I feel like you really, like people should go and get called, you know, write Coffee House Press, go to Amazon, wherever, your local bookshop preferably, and get a copy of this, the artifact of the book. Oh, thank you. Because this is something that it's, you know... if you got the ebook, I think it would it could break no, your iPad no, no. or whatever I don't, you would it's read it not on an ebook yet, and I hope it isn't in a way. I, want, <laughs> no, it I like I want it to be the artifact because you see yeah. the you know there's something very uh, tangible and textural and 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 how it was made. I mean, I feel this captures some of the you know my actual making of it and so on. I, you see me? I keep picking it up because there's something about the heft of it. <laughs> it's it's. It is. It's right? a doorstop. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe I'll read just a few lines from this Please. is a later section. It's got the sort of Buddhist uh, hungry ghosts, the Prata realm in here. And, you know, again, it's the, the war themes and so on. But this is a little bit of a, an oral section. Sleeping with a hungry ghost, hungry ghost of morphology, all by itself between our realms. Hungry ghost that dwells in consciousness that torments our desire. Sexy ghost, a performer, a demon, a gadfly. To never have enough, be enough, get enough. Never have enough, be enough, get enough. Dancing on coals in a state of mind, unsatisfied, unsettled over what he thinks, she thinks, what they think, what the I thinks. Hieroglyphs for the hungry ghost, unsatisfied, dancing on nails, jostled by waves, the real kind that pull you under, turbulent in a shadow realm between waking and sleep, hungry ghost with sacrifices in the sand, hewn characters in the mind, arms and legs that are brisk strokes of gestures in air and language flailing about writing with a skeletal stylus of the hungry ghost. Sleeping with a hungry ghost who writes your book. <laughs> hungry ghost, a web, a film, a lantern. Thought set down that won't let go, won't let go. Never have enough, get enough, get enough. The fix is in, the fix is in. Attachment, which is a ghost yearning, yearning for existence. The fix is in, the fix is in. Yearning for sustenance. Never have enough. Get enough. Get enough. Never have enough. Be enough. Be enough. <laughs> oh, Whoa. good. You're laughing. <laughs> yes. My I'm, Halloween poem. Not, that was, we're going to play that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you decide to step, not not even step into, but, but in, get you actually talk about disembodied. I feel like you actually are in the words and the sound itself with your whole self. So how did you make that decision? Because you made it a, like a when you were a young, like, right. like, no, that's when true. you started, right? Well, I was or, very interested in the, you know, modalities of, of voice and moving through different kinds of, uh, you know, not characters exactly, states of mind, you know, the modalities of different states of mind, not getting attached to just one, you know, persona or point of view. The idea of finding your own voice scares me. I don't want to find my own voice. I want to <laughs> find all the voices. Yes. Um, and public space, you know, that it seemed when I was getting started, I went out to the Berkeley Poetry Conference in in uh, 65 and then came back to New York and immediately jumped into the activities of the St. Mark's, Mark's po Poetry yeah. Project. And that was so exciting to be able to... Um, you know, really get that going. So there's a long history of, you know, what I call infrastructure poetics, taking it into public space with voice, with body. Disembodied had to do with the fact that we were honoring all these people who had, you know, died hundreds of years ago. And so the Kerouac School was honoring William Blake and huh. Dante and yeah. William Carlos Williams and so on. So, you know, there there's a nice play uh, off that term you know the disembodied and we didn't have a desk we didn't have a stationary we didn't have a a building so the peripatetic like the thing yeah, where exactly. like the movement the kinetic right right the caravan the caravanserai 
because you, you there's it's mentioned that you were thinking like that tour that you did with Dylan if you did the a poetry caravan right right and there is a group that goes out by bus I wasn't able to join up this last time is that wave that press does yeah like, wave press there, does yeah. that wonderful you know driving around the country and hooking up with the people in those different places and no i'm all for that i think it's and i've been so lucky to be able to travel and take the you know the good the gospel of poetry yes <laughs> and, and well and when you're reading it because i i'm lucky enough to see how you change when you were just reading mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. piece and so what, is it something that um, when you're composing it, this is how it's it's you're you're hearing it as it's like hearing the voices like the like sometimes the, yeah sometimes it comes in a sort of oral way and I hear it before I see it or write it or can see it as language. Uh, so, I mean, there are tons and tons of pages here in, in, in Eovis that are meant to be read that I you know could not easily yes. perform so in that sense this is a book i mean a book to be you know to sit with and actually i think it can also be read in an interesting way you know from the middle out um jumping in 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 parts you know and then to be able to go i mean i have friends who are reading it you know cover to cover and in the in the narrative way that i've arranged it the mm-hmm. final arrangement is you know very true to how i want it you know the progression that i want on the other hand i love the idea of the you know being able to move the montage around and jump cut and and see it as a sort of still in in process and that there are other ways to read it and other you know numerical magics you might apply and etc because i actually that reminds me and of, of something i wanted to ask about this idea of the consciousness of of you as the creator of this um that happened 26 years ago versus like this knowledge of september 11th like what has happened well that's all in the book you know but, it covers that i think that's but, the idea well but what i mean is that so when you were you didn't shift the consciousness and put any of those things before. Cause that's what I was thinking. Like this transform, like what happened to this? Right. No, I didn't go back right. and, and try to re-edit as if, no. we, you know, we could anticipate this, but in a way, you know, it does anticipate just given what, you know, what the, the themes are and what the perpetual war is. It and does the aggression and yeah. the different, yeah. exactly. The karma. Or, and and also it was, that's... it was for my son and sort of written for my son and for his generation in a way as a record, as a trace, as an archive. I mean, that was part of the vision and the, the traveler in the poem and the, the, you know, the descriptions of where she is and so on is not just me. It's a, you know, it's a sort of interesting composite and playing with that, it's not literal, you know, literal, uh, there's documentation, but it's not always literal. And a lot of it is, you know, um, played with and layered and nuanced in that way. And you said that some of it, it's not meant to be read aloud. Not, it's not that it's not meant, it would just be hard. I mean, at one point, I'd love to just record yes, the whole thing. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Ambrose and I have talked about that. It would yeah. take, you know, a few weeks. Um and I think it can be, but I think I there are parts that I consider more performative that are interesting to me to present. And, and I've heard, as you were asking, you know, heard in this oral way first. And so those are the things I like to bring forth, you know, in, in singing or chanting or whatever it is. Because, because the effect of... Sprechstimme. Speaksing. It's a you know, German form word. that <laughs> Alban Berg and Schoenberg and others work with this form and created these songs that were spoke sung by 
by um, you know wonderful singers. And I have a section, the John Cage section in Eovis is, Dear John Cage, the world is a more hum, humming place. We thank you for it. <laughs> who is a man a cage? Who is a woman not were? So that's Sprechstimme. <laughs> I love that. That was something. That's um. I actually and that section, if it's done properly, takes about an hour. If it's done with gap in it, that section of the poem. If you were to perform yeah. the cage section, it could take. And I've done it where it takes an hour, and I've worked with musicians and gap and it, you know things. There's it allows for uh, improvisation within the structure. And and how and. Is is that noted on the page? Is there time lapse? Because I haven't got not to that really, section yet. Not really. Time. I mean, I had to take it and then for the performance sort of do that. I There were certain decisions I made about not not interrupting away in, in a way, although now I see that would have been, you know, for that particular section, maybe useful for somebody wanting to, you know, perform it themselves. Now I'm envisioning that you do something where, like how people gather and read Ulysses from cover to cover, and you do it with different people. Maybe yeah, that I don't would know. Be fun. Well, we used to do that with the um, making of Americans. You know, the Gertrude Stein great tome, and we'd have these readings, and it was done in other places in New York as well. But the same, there was a wonderful reading once. It's the St. Mark's Poetry Project, and I remember Ed Friedman and I got there at early, you know, the light was just coming in the windows and we began and then more and more people came and continued to read. And, you know, by the evening it was quite a full house. Ah, uh-huh. but you, you started it off at like 6 a.m. or something or five. A little later. Or a li- oh, a little po- later. We're a little on poet's time. <laughs> but, it yeah. was, but it was early. Later than <laughs> Michigan time. That. <laughs> would, what would be the effect of, um, because you mentioned seeing some of your work done in the living theater. Um, when your poems, like, what do you think with a project this close to you, um, the Ovis trilogy, having other people read parts. No, of, I'd like, be well, de- like, I delight, delighted. And I've actually there at one point we were doing recordings with, um, some other voices and my husband, Ed Bowes was one of the readers, Akila Oliver, a dear friend, poet who passed away in the last year she was oh, reading it and then we had dancers and some uh improvising musicians and there's some document of some that that somewhere that was i think we got through book one at least and maybe part of book two it was a, some years ago um but i haven't done the whole thing and that was just it was like a version there's so many multiple versions that can come out of this project and i don't feel you know done with it myself i'd love to you know um, investigate it in these and, and Ambrose has also worked with some of the text in, in of the poem with mm. his own music so there's a will yeah, be a CD coming that well there are things companion. on the current CD that are from Eovis project and and I think over the years have been other you know again it you know it began a long time ago so it's had this interesting life of its own it needs its own archive. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's so inspirational. It makes you think of things differently. Mm-hmm. And and you were inspired by the epics. Yeah, of... definitely. And, and very grateful to have, you know, these examples of, you know, Patterson is a 
shorter text, of course, but, you know, the wonderful way that William Carlos Williams uses documentation. He's located in, you know, this play at Patterson. He's investigating the, the lore and the mythology. There's documentation in there. The yeah, letters of Allen Ginsberg, uh, H.D., Hilda Doolittle's Her War Trilogy is, you know, is very important. It written at a time when she was, you know, in London with actually the, bombs. you know, thing, bombs are coming down. The, um, Louis Zukowski's A, which includes, you know, notation of music. I have a little bit of musical no notation that, uh, the composer and writer Stephen Taylor did one point. I asked him just to do a short section. It was a, a sort of eulogy for Joe Brainerd, a close friend who had passed away. So also it, people are dying in, yes. in the book. So though they're, there's, the passing of time, yeah, the passing, so the passing of, of time and so on. So they're honored in these ritual ways. Um, poet friend was in the hospital undergoing. So, there, you know, there's this section where, you know, I mean, it, it's invoking a Hindu cosmology and the, you know, the serpents uh, around Vishnu are like the, you know, the, the tubes coming out of the body and, you know, lying in a hospital room and so on. So there's, you know, there, there are ways that things are... Maybe the epic demands that you elevate or you see, you know, you see in this with this multiple gaze, you know, to other kinds of uh, structures. There's a retelling probably inspired by Paula Gunn Allen, uh, you know, Native American telling of the Spider Woman, you know, a version of the Spider Woman tale that seemed appropriate. You know, the spinster and the lone woman who's aging and and uh spinning the the tail spinning the web and so on so there, you know there are lots of uh sections like that 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 go to other um places also i invoke the rhizome you know the rhizome which is this you know interesting tuber system and the kind of indra's net of association so that's um another you know map in a way oh yes i love that this i in the way of of being with inhabiting this mm -hmm. this book mm -hmm. with the, the the multiple maps or voices and so when you're so when you're living in this for so long and is it um a, um is it a way of so it's a way of seeing it's a way of seeing and exactly so how do you yeah. so how do you because because when you when you were saying like these multiple level like the implications of that are like when you're in a moment you're also aware that in some ways this might be something that's feeding the artifact the archive of this project that right you're within. exactly yeah yeah well i you know it's it has a sort of i guess the word is a sort of resonance and and um you know, operating in, in terms of sense perceptions, you know, in, in these multiple ways and layered ways. And, and um, you know, and, and but now in a way it's finally object, you know, object, objectified, sort of reified as this thing. And then it's also something that can be un unlocked again and again. I go back to it to know where I've been and what I've been and what I was thinking and where certain inspirations, uh, you know, have come from. I'm working on a new book that's of a kind of allegory with um you know sort of doppelganger and and the the original Anne and the double Anne and the the succubus <laughs> and the deciders who are making decisions about um you know how things are taken care of like archive so it's you know it, it's playing off some of these themes but it's i hope it's a little more playful and it's it's a simpler kind of text i mean it's not so burdened by um the the endless war at the moment yeah already that's a <laughs> that's a huge difference in and the it's project. called gossip murmur gossip <laughs> murmur 
and there's you know sort of uh, a little bit of a reference to the Hian uh, gossamer years, the Hian court lady writing her pillow book and recounting you know the times when women were you know very secluded and uh, went inward. And so there's, you know, that was an initial inspiration. Also working with some Vedic cosmology about doubles and um, and transformation, you know, women being changed into men and that sort of thing. So it's it's a it's on, it's happening now. I mean, I'm working on it now, but it's it's very rel- I, sometimes I think the all these projects are birthed out of one another and in extensions in a way. And maybe you yes. know, it's all I can see. It all is one work I, although you know when i look at manatee or i look at structure of the world compared to a bubble which was very specifically um going to the barobador stupa in, in the kedu plain in java which is a buddhist stupa that really uh, explores the mahayana buddhist bodhisattva path and you go to this site and you circumambulate and there are carvings that tell various stories the Jataka tales and different you know Buddhist tales and you read the the monument as a as a book and uh, it, so it's a meditation of what's you know I'm tracking my mind as I'm circumambulating and reading these yes. things and then I'm also laying out the story in sort of the Buddhist Mahayana path and it was something I wanted to do for my own you know, edification or, or education. And, and your spirit. And, and my spirit. And it was, again, a kind of, you know, started as this pilgrimage. And when I got there, I thought, I've got to, you know, the, the this is a book. This experience is like a book. Mm. And it's and it's a walking meditation. It's a walking meditation, which is a, a book. I mean, it demanded to be written. And that was within the Eovis, you know, you know, time frame, of course, and um, and yet it's a very, very different kind of project. Not that there aren't, you know, re- intersections. Might, yeah, but, yeah. But, but yes, you knew it was itself. It had exactly. to be in its own, exactly. its own orbit. And it's 108 pages, which which is the number of beads on a, you know, a Buddhist prayer uh, mala. And, and Anne, um, we're running out of time, oh. which is just terrible. <laughs> Well, we'll do it again, shall we? I'd love that. I would. I would. Will you read us something as we well, take, as we, we, go, we out, go out? I'll just and... read, a, sing a few verses. Ah, this okay. is um, this was done, you know, with some activity around Occupy and and so on, and it's to the tune of um, Go Down, Moses. And it starts with Egypt. The prisons of Egypt go back far to Joseph in the house of Potiphar. Check the papyrus, check the astrology. Down the stair of time in a theocratic dynasty. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Shackled and outraged in capitalism's jail, gagged and bound by the federal exchange alpha male. What will it take, revolution, to get the mind stable? What will it take to get food on every table? Go down, Bloomberg, way down in New York land. Tell old Wall Street, let my people go. Thank you. <laughs> Anne Waldman, uh, the Ovis trilogy, Colors in the Mechanism of Concealment. You've been living you've been living you've been living with living writers and Anne Waldman and T. Hetzel and Tex. Thanks for listening, Thank everyone. You so much, Thank you, T. Anne. Thank you, Tex. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Until next time.
In some places, a woman would marry a woman, which torques the definition of marriage. Would it be so simple, any such definition? For they throw stones at you in the torqued definition of marriage. It hurts to be unkind, they say, and cast a stone. Or someone had a man take a slug at her on an emotional national holiday because she was a known lover of women who had a wife. And it was a man's holiday, a memorial day for dead warriors who were mostly, especially in the two wars, men. Or maybe she, a woman slugged, was a wife. This is a two wives tale. It was unseemly to see two women kissing, two women embrace under the primrose tree, two women in a Lautrec brothel holding the tide together against the slings of men, caressing Yes, sir, there's nothing like sitting down to enjoy a quiet hour with the radio, particularly when reception is mangled and drowned out or distorted, not only by natural static, but by motors, electric devices, dial telephones, and all those other wonderful things science has given us. But hold on a minute. Did I say science? You really can't put the blame on science. Because after all, besides creating the problem itself of clear, noise-free radio reception, it's also given us the answer to that problem. A new wonder called frequency modulation, better known by the two letters FM. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Stereo! Yeah. <laughs> 